so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Diversity and racial unity are topics we should never tire of addressing, especially because they are part of God's design for His church. Sadly, there's still a lot of work to be done, but our kids are a bright spot of hope for the future. At the ERLC National Conference, Stephen Harris hosted a panel to discuss this issue titled, All God's Children, Growing Kids Who Embrace a Biblical View of Racial Unity. Let's join Stephen as he introduces us to the panelists. My first uh, panelist to my immediate left uh, is Trillia Newbell. Trillia serves as the Director of Community Outreach for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, she's also a sought-after speaker and author. Uh, one of, among her many uh, uh, works, uh, most recently she has authored God's Very Good Idea, which I have a copy of here. Uh, it's a children's book, uh, God's Very Good Idea. Subtitle is A True Story of God's Delightfully Different Family. So I believe this is available in the bookstore if you desire it. Uh, but this is her latest work uh, that is certainly relevant to the topic that we'll be discussing today. Uh, she's married to Thurn, and they are the parents of two children. Yes. Uh, next to Trillia uh, is Jason Paredes. Jason, uh, you, you're impressed. Uh, look at that. Jason uh, serves as the lead pastor of Fielder Church in Arlington, Texas, which is a growing multi-ethnic church in the heart of the DFW area. Uh, he is married to Virginia. Uh, and they are the parents of five children. A little heavy on the girl side, I hear. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we're about to travel in three weeks to China to get number six. So we're well, another girl, that. too. So well, it'll be five girls, know. one boy. That'll, that'll be oh. fine. God has plans. God has a plan for your life. <laughs> Next to Jason uh, is Rachel Metzger. Uh, Rachel has been an educator for over 18 years. Uh, teaching history and worldview. Uh, she currently, currently works for development, uh, works in development for a number of uh, different organizations. Uh, Rachel is married to Todd, and they have three children. Yep. Next to Rachel is Byron Day. Uh, Byron serves as the senior pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Laurel, Maryland, uh, where he has served for over 25 years. Uh, Byron also serves as the president of the National African American Fellowship of the Southern Baptist Convention. Byron is married to Pamela, and they have three children and seven grandchildren. That's right. And last but not least, Afshin Ziafat. Uh, he uh, currently serves as lead pastor of Providence Church in Frisco, Texas, married to Meredith, and they are the parents of two children. Yes. yes. So welcome you all uh, to our panel uh, today. Want to jump right in, uh, want to redeem the time. Uh, first question is, is going to go to you, Trillia. You know, we, we often talk about this topic, just you and I one-on-one -on -one personally. Uh, one of the things that I often encounter when we're having a conversation about racial harmony, racial tension. Um, no one would object to racial harmony, right, per se, but I think one of the questions people often have is, you know, are we merely taking our cues from the culture here? Are we talking about this because this is something that we're seeing culturally and we're taking our cue from the culture? Or is this something that we ought own as a conversation that ought 
spring from the church? I mean, are we on legitimate grounds here, biblically? Yeah. Um, the short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we, I, I too have had that. If you would, if you just stop talking about it, it would go away. Mm-hmm. Conversations, yeah. and yeah. the yeah. truth is, is that the problem is, is that it's of the heart. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we see culture, we see division, we see the pain in the culture, but really, what's the trouble is, is that there's racism in the heart. There's divide because of our hearts. And so is this a church issue? Yes, because of Genesis 3. It's a church issue because we live in a fallen world. But it's also a church issue because of Genesis 1. God has created us all in the image of God. It's also a church issue because of Jesus. Jesus died for every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's a church issue because we have a multi-ethnic mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And it's a church issue because... Revelations, we're all going to be worshiping together one day. So, yes, this is not just something that we need to be talking about because something in the culture happened. It's something the church needs to be on top of, ahead of, because it is ultimately, it's a biblical topic. It's a biblical issue. And ultimately, it's not an issue. It's about people. It's about loving people and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So... My hope is that the church would be ahead of the culture on this topic. Uh, Actually, I want to jump to you thinking more about this thread. I mean, as a pastor, I know you've thought deeply about these issues. How have you sought to answer that question, perhaps theologically from the pulpit or even raising it in your local church? Yeah, truly it hit hit him really well. I mean, that's what I I stood up the Sunday after Charlottesville, and I basically said, first of all, racism is an affront to God because... Genesis 1, we're all, verse 26, made in his image uh, after his likeness. We're image bearers. And so uh, when you are looking at someone who is made in the image of God and thinking yourself superior, you are, uh, it's an affront to God. And I think of the lesson that Peter had to learn on the rooftop when he saw the sheet come down with all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean. And he hears the voice of God saying, take, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I will not touch what is common and unclean. And God says, don't call what I have made common and unclean. And right then there's a rap at the door, and I think it's all setting him up for going into a Gentile man's home, Cornelius, and preaching the gospel. Because in those days, they were seen Gentiles that are unclean. And so he's saying, look, I've made these people. My heart beats for them. Same thing with Jonah, when he didn't want to go preach to Nineveh. The end of the book of Jonah ends with God saying, uh, should I not pity these 120,000 people? Again, made in my image. So it's an affront to God. It's an affront to the gospel. Because Ephesians chapter 2 says that Jesus is our peace. And he brings down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. So the two who should be at odds with one another now have become fellow citizens. And then it's like he stops himself and goes, oh no, it's deeper. They become members of the household of God. They become family members. And then it's almost as if he stops himself and goes, no, actually it's even deeper than that. They are fellow bricks making up the temple of God. And they're dependent on each other. And so it's an affront to the gospel of Jesus Christ for me to have a divide between another race. And then, as you said, it's an affront to heaven. At the end of the day, I think, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to see again, as Revelation 7 says, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation surrounding the throne of God saying salvation belongs to God. And if that's where this is all headed, and by the way, the church... Uh, is supposed to be, as Ephesians 3 says, the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold means multifaceted, like a diamond with many faces shines brightly. We are to have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that gives glory to God. Yeah. 
Byron, just in thinking about the, the, the cultural conversation, I mean, the country perceives itself to be having a national conversation about race. Uh, not necessarily going too well. Uh, but thinking about inside the church, uh, from your vantage point as a pastor in Maryland, um, what are some things that you've been encouraged by? Uh, what are some things that you maybe have lamented about the church's response as we move our way into thinking about how we raise our children? Well, I certainly think that we have uh, come a long way, uh, perhaps in the last 50, 60 years. Um, I remember in 1960, I don't remember, I was only three years old, but uh, Dr. King on a televised interview stated that uh, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock hour, is the most segregated hour in Christian America. We have moved that needle a little bit. Uh, obviously, uh, because of the events of, of recent months and, and years, uh, there's a whole lot more work to be done. The church itself, uh, I think, uh, has a lot of work to do. I, I think that both of the panelists have uh, accurately stated the biblical position that we've been made in the image of God, and therefore I have no right uh, to hate on one that is made in the image of God, and it is an affront to God because of that very reason. Um, I think we forget uh, in the church that we are all come from Adam. And I think we forget that. Uh, there's really only one race, believe it or not. So that's a challenge. But to, to execute uh, Jesus' plan for this, this, this church that is uh, multicultural, that is from every tribe, tongue, and nation, um, it's hard because of our own sin nature. And as long as that sin nature that we have, it's always going to be there. And that's why we, the only real cure is the gospel. Because we've got to change the heart. We've got to transform the inner person. And, of course, we realize that even though one may be born again, there may still be some struggle uh, along. And, by the way, I would like to state that, that there's both sides, if you will, have work to do. There are those who are hating someone because of perhaps the color of their skin or different ethnicity. But there's also those who have been hurt. Uh, and there is a lot of bitterness still there that they have to struggle with, too, to overcome. Um, so there's, there's a lot of work to be done by the church on both sides. Uh, I think, however, that we ought to be at the forefront of this matter, not the last people uh, to realize what's happening in our country. The church ought to be leading the way. That's what Christ intended for us to do. Uh, and so I think we've got to make a, a big concerted effort to preach it in the pulpit. I think we've got to speak out uh, in our communities uh, to take part of that. The path, well, I'll save that for later. But. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, I, I, this is a really good segue. I mean, Jason, I recently read in a Baptist Press article that kind of chronicled the transition that your church underwent um, there in Arlington, Texas. Um, for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about what that was, um, your church transitioning really from a predominantly Anglo uh, uh, body, um, the homogenous body, to now a multi, multi-ethnic body. Um, and in that process, thinking rightly about who should lead that charge. And, and the Lord um, uh, put it on the hearts of those in leadership to, to, uh, to call you to that, to that office. Um, what was that experience like, number one? And then two, just anything you want to share from that. But then secondly, as we think about children, why is it important uh, for children to engage in ecclesial spaces that are diverse, right? What, what, is that, what benefit does that add to them, right? How was that in the, the thinking of this? I, I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. The, the space it creates for our kids mirrors the journey a church has to go on. As kids are going to develop, the journey a church has to take to go from being homogenous to being multi-ethnic is the same journey every child goes on. So mm-hmm. 
the things that we learned along the way inform how we relate to our children. Uh, and so, I mean, I'll tell you, the journey itself is just ugly and crazy and you know, chaotic and, and beautiful at the same time. Yeah. I, I don't know how all that works together, but it does. So, um, you know, I, I wish I could say, like, here were the eight things we did to become a, a there's, I, we prayed really hard. <laughs> we yeah. screwed up a lot and we tried everything we could to make it happen. But one of the things I learned in the process is there's a role each person has to play in this transition. Mm-hmm. So our, our former pastor, been there for 25 years, Gary Smith, incredible guy, the nicest man you will ever meet. He's uh, from kind of a rural Arkansas place. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's great at what he does. What he is not good at is relating to the Latino community. <laughs> so he, we always joke about it. For the first two years, every time he introduced me, he'd go, Jason Patadas. He couldn't say my last name. Then he'd go, Taco Bueno. And, and I'd be from the stage, you know. And every Hispanic's going, oh. That's strike two to me. That sounds like, that's so, like strike two right there. But the thing about it is you knew he loved you. There was yeah. no question about his heart. He just wasn't, that wasn't his space. Yeah. He wasn't good yeah. at relating there. But what he was good at doing was empowering me to step in. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm a different space. I used, I used to be angry at my parents because they named me Jason Paredes. Like, pick, pick it up. I, I should be Javier or Jose or Juan. Or, I don't get Jason Paredes or Jason Smith or something, you know. And I, for, I really struggled with identity. Who am I? And what world? And I am the whitest Hispanic guy you'll ever meet. You know, I'm so light-complected. And my whole family called me Huerito because they're all brown and I'm really fair-complected. And so I had identity crisis. Who am I? And all of a sudden, I step into this space and I realize, oh, this is who I am. Yeah. I'm supposed to help this Anglo church yeah. that I can identify with them, but I can also hablar español. I can identify with the Latino and I can, I can yeah. make that bridge happen. The thing I couldn't do, though, is I couldn't become the lead pastor of the church unless there was a man named Gary Smith mm-hmm. who occupied his space, his yeah. lane, and passed it over. And so I think that's the way it is for the whole church. Everybody's got to find out what they can contribute. They're, they're not going to be able to do the whole span but they have a place, they have a movement and a, a contribution. And then that translates over to the kids. When the kids see that modeled, then they'll recognize, I don't have to be, you know, if, if a kid is born black, he doesn't have to be white. If a kid's born Hispanic, he doesn't have to be black. You, you can be who you are with your culture, but find out how you fit into this journey together. And I think both of them inform each other. Oh, that's good. And, and Rachel, just transitioning here as we think more particularly about our children. Uh, Jason mentioned kids growing up in an ecclesial context, seeing diversity, and then being proud of perhaps the things that they're learning about themselves. You know, those early years are years of discovery, and they're seeing things about themselves, phenotypic characteristics, oh, look at my skin, and look at that. Those things seem to reflect on maybe a future conversation to be had about race. Um, I think a lot of parents, as they're seeing perhaps in those early years, or maybe they have kids at later stages, are wondering, when is the good time to have that conversation? And how do you even discern that? Um, just some nuggets, and I'll probably span the, the panel here, just some nuggets about how parents ought think about, okay, when do I bring this up? They seem to be pointing things out. Maybe this is not a good time. As soon as possible. Yes. Yes. You should not wait. Um, because waiting seems like a secret or something you don't want to talk about. So as Early as my kids could communicate, I started talking to them about our similarities and our differences, and I celebrated all of it because it's all part of God's design. And I pointed out our differences. I have white skin, you have brown skin, and isn't it beautiful that God made these two things? So we always made the effort to celebrate that. In fact, my, one of my favorite stories, I always tell them, my daughter is when she was about four she drew a picture of our family, which is always telling when your children do that. But um, she colored herself brown, which is accurate. And she colored her brother brown, which is accurate. 
And then she colored my husband brown. That's not accurate, but I thought, okay. And then I was off in the corner, and she colored me blue. So I thought for a second, and I thought, okay, I need to come up with a good response to this, ask her why. And I asked her, I said, why am I blue and everyone else is brown? And she said, well, brother has brown eyes, I have brown eyes, daddy has brown eyes, and you have blue eyes. So she saw similarities and difference, and she grouped us by eye color, but she was looking for ways to bring our family together and all the different similarities and differences. So celebrate that with your kids. Say, you know what? You're right. I should be blue. You're right. Good choice. As they get older, I do talk about this, the subject of race as early as I can, though I realize that the topic of race and even the definition of race is difficult yes. because uh, our culture uses yeah. that identification, but scripture only talks about one race, and that's yeah. the human race. So we have to acknowledge both. But when, as I bring that question and that issue up with my kids, I always try to also do it in the context of ethnicity, um, nationality, and history. Because I think bigotry really gets its fuel from sweeping generalizations. And mm-hmm. we make these huge generalizations about huge groups of people whose only similarity might even be the the color of skin. Even that Mm -hmm. is diverse. So I try to explain to my kids, we're individuals first Mm -hmm. before we fit in this group or that group. So I try to explain all in the context of all those different aspects as best I can so that we don't fall into that generalization temptation. Yeah, that's good. Trillia? My family, my husband is white. And I'm black, if you didn't know. And what? <laughs> and 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 so my my son, my firstborn, he is really, 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 really well. He's white looking, and so he ha- came out really pale. And my husband and I, were, we were like, what? And um, but as he grew up, he started noticing these differences. So he would look and he'd say. Mommy's brown, daddy's peach. I'm peach. Mommy's brown, daddy's peach. And this was at two years old. And then finally I became chocolate, which was awesome. And it's like, I'll take that. And, uh, but it was so sweet. We have not waited because they know. They know at a young age that, that there's a difference in eye color or skin. And, and we try. And I love that you use the word celebrate. That's what's missing in our culture. We're not, we don't celebrate our differences. We politicize them. And we should celebrate. This is God's good plan. It's his idea. So we can celebrate our differences. And so that's what we've done. The reality is, though, now my kids are older. And my son, he, he understands about the civil rights movement. And he, will come, he came home once and he said, Mom, I can't believe someone would be unkind to you and that you and Daddy wouldn't be able to drink from the same fountain. Really? Mm -hmm. And so we are in a different stage where we're talking about the realities of racism, the realities of division, the realities of ethnic pride, Mm -hmm. pride in in the way that we um, are sin problem. And and so it is heartbreaking, Mm -hmm. but it's something that we have to be talking about. But even with that, we are sharing the full picture of the gospel that unites you talked about ephesians 2 the veil of hostility has been 
torn, broken down in the body of Jesus. And so we talk about those things and, and we still rejoice and we celebrate and learn about different cultures and history. But um, that is our reality. The reality is, is that it's a broken world and they, they need to know. But start early. Get that foundation early so that they can celebrate. And it's not the strange thing, again, so that we're ahead of the culture because it's something to celebrate. Yeah, that's good. I want to stay on this point, guys, and certainly feel free to share any anecdotes you might have along those same lines. But I just want to pop, stick, stick here because I think this is one of the, the points of perhaps fear, maybe nervousness about how do I... I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not a history scholar, they might say, or I don't even know how to talk about these things. Just how can we encourage parents to just take that leap of faith and begin just having honest dialogues about, with their children about these realities? Either, either one of you guys. I just want to stay here and really flush this out because I feel like this is really a point of hesitancy for, for many families and many people. Well, I think one of the things you have to do is you have to educate yourself. Yes. Um, that's probably the most important thing. Uh, first of all, I would say educate yourself uh, biblically about the matter in terms of the image of God and all the different races, even the tribes of uh, Genesis 10 and the nation of Genesis 10 and, and Revelation 7 and all those things. And so you need to, be, you need to know for yourself, first of all, um, what it is that you believe and why you believe it so that you can better then explain it to them. And then, of course, you're going to have to find ways to explain it, and depending on the age uh, of how to explain it to them, find ways to do that. It's going to take a little work. Yeah. Uh, but you have to do it, and I, and I think you do it when you first notice that it, that it comes up, whether it's in a drawing or whether it's at two or four or whatever, that's when you approach it and, and deal with it. But I think the most important thing is that we have to uh, educate ourselves uh, about our, our all history, not just our own history, yeah. and um, but but all history, so that I can speak intelligently to them and know exactly uh, what I'm saying. And again, first biblically, and then of course out of uh, our own history. Yeah, that's good. I, I would with our children. I, I'm first to echo what you ladies said about just take every opportunity. My wife was at Walmart the other day with our daughter, who's five, and and she just asked straightforward in front of an African American lady, "Mom, why is?" her skin darker than our skin and I was like what did you say Meredith? <laughs> I mean, it's a great opportunity and I, I, when she said it I was like I am so glad you're the mother of our children uh, she said you know honey uh, God is an amazing creator and he is he reflects his image he reflects himself in humans and because he's an amazing creator he can't be limited to just one color and so he uses multiple colors to show his glory on the face of men and women everywhere. And I was just like, that's pretty awesome, you know? <laughs> so, but I also think just, you know, I think the root of racism, one foundation is just the, 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 the sin of self at the end of the day. You know, after Charlottesville happened, I saw one of those videos about an interview with one of the white nationalists, the, the, the racists, and, and I saw the angst that as he was defending his cause was this reverse discrimination that was happening. Mm -hmm. He was Trump coming out against. And so underlying just the fact that I don't like this person because of his skin color was at the end of the day, it was, I'm not saying that's not true, but at the end of the day, it was this, I want to protect me. It's all about me. Mm -hmm. And so with our children, I want to teach them that all 
are made in God's image, yeah. but I also want to make sure I'm teaching them that life isn't about you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that Philippians 2 is what I want to teach them. Count others more significant than yourselves. Put the interest of others before yourself. And the only way my child's going to do that is by remembering, you were saying educate yourself, remembering what Jesus has done. Yeah. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was equal with God, he emptied himself. So we're definitely not more significant than Jesus, but he counted us more significant by emptying himself for us. And so that's what I want to teach my child, is that life isn't about you. Put others before yourself. And I think that's the foundation that I think wipes out racism. Oh, yes, yes. I think it's important also that you model what you're going to teach. In fact, it's very important because you can say it, and I know sometimes as parents, you like, you just do it because I told you to do it, rather than um, really model it. And so you can't be a hypocrite because kids pick that up like that. Um, You really have to model it and show respect to all people, all ethnicities, in your daily life, whether it's at the Walmart or, you know, at the movie, whatever you do, you've got to show that same respect to everyone yeah. at the model. And I was just going to say that you may have gotten this wrong. You may be listening to this and thinking, well, I didn't start at a young... It's never too late to talk about the glory of God and Imago Day. And so if, you, if you're listening and you're thinking, well, I didn't do that, um, start today. That's the true. other thing that I was thinking is that you have also, there's no doubt in my mind that someone, either listening on the live stream or right here, has struggled with racial pride or ethnic pride. And God's word says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us. Mm-hmm. So we have a good, good father who says, repent. <laughs> Repent. And I think if we exercise repentance in front of our children, that that is a, it's, it speaks volume. Yeah. It speaks volume to them. And so we can repent of, of where we've, our, our own bias and where we've struggled with racial pride, and we can receive the grace of God and continue to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. But I just want to encourage anyone who's struggled in that, that, that God says, come to, my throne of grace and receive mercy and help in my time of need, not condemnation. So you can repent and we can, we can start this. We, I'm in it with you, <laughs> but really you can start it now and you don't have to um, feel guilt or shame, but um, receive grace and, and begin this conversation. Amen. So we're just going to take up an offering and then just go on. Now. <laughs> Jason, I, I want to, I, I want to flush. I want to flush the point out that, that, that Byron made because I do want to pause here. You know, it's, it's often said of not just younger children but older children, you know, these habits and worldviews are, are caught and not just taught, right? What, flush out the importance of parents, caretakers, intentionally living relationally diverse lives, right? And what, what effect does that have, right? How can they maybe do that? Maybe if they don't see possibilities, help them think practically about that. Yeah, I think for an individual, this is where the the multi-ethnic church is so vitally important because of the nature of the intimacy of family in a congregation. But also, I think adoption is so unusually important in this as well. So, uh, you know, we like I mentioned, we have five kids. One of them we adopted from China nine years ago, and we're going to adopt another. So. A third of my six kids, I'm Chinese now. I I, I got Chinese in my blood now because of my children. So it affects the way I view culture uh, Mm -hmm. because of who's in my home. And and if you were to take our staff and just put us on a panel, so I've got a few of them here with me. So I got my friend Ender, who's Hispanic. His wife's Hispanic. They have a little white girl with like 
red hair who's hola papi como esta she just speaks Spanish and it's the cutest thing ever but the, those lines are, are blurred you know uh, I've got LD who's right over there he and his wife are Anglo and their daughter's Hispanic we got another guy Tony he's Hispanic his wife's Anglo they just adopted two African American boys another guy leads worship Reggie he's African American his, his wife is Anglo they adopted two African American girls another family they're both white they have an Asian child so if you were to put like our staff up and then our kids and say, okay, try to match them. It'd be impossible because you don't know who goes with who. But when you have that kind of context, all of a sudden those, those lines are blurred between where identity is. It's no longer skin color or the shape of someone's eyes or face or whatever. It's, it's, it's all about family identity. It's, it's relationship. It's not color of skin that, that forms those bonds. And so those types of things in a church setting are incredibly diffusing for a person who says, I, I don't know how to talk to my kids about this. I don't know how to instruct them. I'm not good at it. But I'm involved with a church body where there are hundreds of kids of all different ethnicities. and You don't know who belongs with who. It, our kids pick up on that immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not color blindness. It's the opposite of color blindness. It's color richness. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, mm-hmm. the beauty of the cultures. We're celebrating Chinese New Year. We're celebrating these cultures. We're, we're figuring out you know, a couple on our staff. They have a, a son they adopted uh, just a, a few months ago. He's 12 years old. He's African-American. They're trying to figure out how to do his hair. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're partnering together to go, okay, let's, let's, let's Google this, you know, let's, uh, whatever, <laughs> and talking to others. And, and what it does is it, it creates a, a space for there to be uh, beautiful conversations yeah. that are natural and normal that didn't seem like I'm trying to force this or shove it down your throat. It's, it's just evident for everybody to see because that's who the church is. So I think it plays that role. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, we're hearing this and we're, we're talking about how these, these things map right on to the truth, the tenets that we all profess to believe and know. So I want to think a little bit about discipleship. You know, so we're, we're trying to raise kids uh, who, in God's grace, will come to know Jesus um, and, and to be saved and to move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Um, this issue, right, I, oftentimes I'm having conversations with people, they're like, I hear that, that's wonderful, I, I'm going to pursue it as best I can. But it really might not have any bearing on, you know, my discipleship process, right? I'm still going to know Jesus well, right? Um, how do we think about raising our kids in this issue and its import on them becoming followers of Jesus, right? How do, how do we actually explicitly put that on that process and think through the importance of that in that way? Yeah. You're saying why is racial diversity important to discipleship, mm-hmm. right? Well, I mean, I think it goes back to, again, it's a, it's a matter of the gospel. It's a matter of, um, you know, that God loves all people. And, and for, you know, our church, you know, we uh, have become more diverse in, in, our, in our church. Because I hear a lot of times people will say, well, we don't, we don't have a lot of different races in our region. So, you know, what, what do you do there? You know, first of all, I think that problem is becoming less and less because even in a place like Frisco, Texas that you might think has a lot is just all white we have the nations are coming the Indians and and uh, you know the Asians and it's just it's flooded in in my in my region and so uh, and and my thing is I I want our church when I'm thinking about discipleship to have a heart for racial uh, love for racial diversity Mm -hmm. to have a heart for racial unity let me say that Mm -hmm. Uh, so whether or not um, I think we should reflect our community 
You know what I mean? So if we have, you know, 25%, um, you know, Indian around us, maybe there should be 25% in the church. I think we should reflect our community. Uh, but instead of trying to, like, how important is it? Do I have to have this many people in my, uh, my, my heart would be more, uh, do our people have a heart for the nations? Do we pray for the nations? Do we love all people? And one of the things that's happened for us, you know, because uh, pastors we talk, we're like, man, is there something we're doing is there something we should do differently, like maybe change the style of music? I mean, you could change the style of music, but the, the styles are going to change, right? And so the, what I say is, man, there's one thing that reaches all cultures at all times, and it's the Word of God. So I think if you build your church on, I'm preaching the Word of God, and you, you know, you're going to, as long as you're not having barriers that keep other races from wanting to be, come, I think that's, you're going to start to see diversity. And then one other thing I let me throw out uh, for, for us is as we've gone on mission trips and our people have gone to other cultures and come back home, we, I've seen them have a heart to now want to go meet my Indian neighbor uh, who I've never even talked to because I just got back from India. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's been a huge thing for us too. But I think it's a huge part of of, uh, of discipleship because God, again, John chapter 10, Jesus tells the uh, Jews of his day, I'm the good shepherd, I lay my life down for the sheep, but I have sheep that are not of this fold also. Mm-hmm. And I must draw them also so there'll be one flock and one shepherd. In other words, you're missing out what church is if it's just your clan. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think it's important to discipleship. That's good. Uh, truly thinking about um, more practical ways uh, because the proximity issue, proximity to diversity, as she mentioned, is, is going to become less and less of a, a, a thing to be, to be had and said. Um, for those who, who do yet still see the kind of homogeneity all around them, practical ways that they may not even be thinking about in which to, to live diversely um, and to maybe expose their, their children to different, certainly missions, obviously, within a local church context would, uh, would accomplish that. But other ways in which? Sure. Um, I think our dinner tables are essential for this. Um, Not only inviting our neighbors, so he had just mentioned that someone had, it took them going to India (laughs) to reach their neighbor that's Indian, which is great, but we can just go out our door and knock on, you know, go to your next door neighbor. So I say practically, one is getting to know those who live around you and, and seeing Asking God to give you eyes to see color, to see culture, to see diversity so that you can celebrate God's creation and invite people in. Yeah. So, one, in our day, dinner tables, if, if there is a chance that your neighbors are um, homogenous in yeah. some way, I think um, history, opening up, I think you mentioned history, learning yeah. about culture, um, learning about people and differences is important. So you can, that's really practical. Go to a cultural event, go to an art exhibit. Don't be unaware, be up on, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be aware of what's going on in the culture. But I, I really do think that for most of us, it's just a matter of taking a step of faith. You mentioned fear Mm -hmm. earlier and not being afraid to, to speak to our neighbors and to not to to get out of our selfish and self-focused minds and hearts and and really just to so practically that's that's one way um something that we did with our kids uh not this summer but last summer is i i 
put together a um, list. I asked them, I said, hey, okay, I'm going to cook through some, some cultures. <laughs> and I asked them to list a bunch of countries. So we, they list, listed a bunch of countries. And each week at dinner, I cooked something. We listened to the music. We read something about their history. So we had Dura Watts, which is an Ethiopian dish I highly recommend. And we talked about the culture and listened to the music. We didn't necessarily have an Ethiopian in our table, but the kids still talk about it. So there are ways that you can engage. I'm talking specifically kids here because of the parenting seminar, but there's a way you can engage your whole family in learning. And and those are just a a couple of practical steps. Rachel, feel free to share any more on on that regard as well. But I I, want to, I mean, Trulia shared about her family. Jason shared about his family. For those who may not be aware of just... The, the journey that your family has gone through and then the vision that, that you and Todd have kind of walked into in faithfulness. Just feel free to share anything about that that might be relevant with this conversation. Yeah, you know, our vision was not to be a multiracial family. We just wanted to glorify God. When God presented us with the opportunity to adopt, which we hadn't planned, we thought, okay, God brought us here. We're adopting. This is God's will. So when we were presented with the paperwork to say, you know, do you want a white child? Do you want a black child? We just checked all of them because we thought, well, if God's gotten us this far and is in control this far, then we should keep letting him be sovereign over it. And so I always tell my children, I'm sorry if you don't like this family, but you were put here by God because we did not plan this. This was all part of God's plan. So when they're feeling, you know, snarky about whatever is going on in the home, I say, well, this was all part of God's plan. What can I say? You know, so I, I... For us, it was just an act of obedience. It wasn't this great vision to go and have a multiracial family. And even when we've added our now Chinese daughter to the mix, once again, it was just someone approached us about it. We prayed about it and thought, yep, we're just going to... We're going to go full UN in this, in this home. We're just going to do the whole thing. I just, I need to get, if I cover Latino, I'll be done. I think I will have the entire, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, we just, it's obedience. It's loving your neighbor. Um, And yeah, sometimes it's, it is awkward. We've all fielded awkward questions that we wish we hadn't gotten. And I just, I remind myself that I'm an ambassador for all this. And if I need to gently correct someone, I gently correct someone. And if I need to educate someone, I need to educate. I, I don't see that as a threat. I see it as an opportunity. That's great. And I like the fact that your friend, you framed it as this is something that you are called to. And there are different levels of calling yep. with regard to engaging in this conversation. So we don't want people to hear, all right, baby, here's what we got to do, you know. Um, but we want, we want you to hear, you know, that this is a obedience and that there are different levels of calling, different ways of engaging both practically and maybe comprehensively. And so I love the way that you frame that as this is just faithfulness and obedience. And it charges us to ask the question to ourselves, what has God called us to? What is he asking of us uh, with regard to wherever we live, our communities, our churches? That's great. Byron, I want to, you know, as we're winding up on time here, as people leave here emboldened to engage this issue, perhaps some were sensitized to these realities just over the course of this conversation. Um, a lot of grace is needed. Uh, I think we need to be extenders of grace. We need to allow ourselves to receive grace. Um, but just an encouraging word for parents leaving this room about what perhaps they're going to face out there as they seek to 
you know, bust out of these doors and, and live this, this life in a, in a cultural context, right, that, it, that is really desperately in need of um, a good model. Um, there are challenges up ahead. There are, are certainly triumphs up ahead. Um, how, how, do we, how do we encourage the parents here? I want to tell a, a little story. Uh, I met a, um, a retired pastor, I guess a couple of years ago. He's like 87 or something like that. And I was interested because he happened to grow up in New Orleans, which is the town I grew up in as well. And he tells a story, well, he tells a story about his life when he was a young kid, like the 40s or something. And uh, he was a shoeshine boy down in the French Quarter. And so he's shining uh, this white guy's shoes and everything, and he's finished, and he's thinking, okay, I'm going to get a quarter for shining the guy's shoes. And the guy kicks him in the stomach. Now, here's a guy, 87 years old, and you could feel the pain and hurt from something that happened probably 50 years prior. Um, and that's what I meant about both sides having to deal with issues. Uh, because there's, there's, there's bitterness, bitterness there, and, and perhaps, uh, I don't know if I use the word hate might be too strong, but it's, it's really difficult because of the weakness of our, of our flesh. Um, and I know we don't have that, at least I hope that we're not having that level uh, in our country today, but the reality is, is that man is a sinner. And he's fallen. And he's got this sin nature. And regardless how that expresses itself, which it does in many, many ways, not just in racism, but human trafficking. And we can go on and the list can go on and on and on. And so we first of all got to understand that. Uh, one, of the re- one of the ways I think that we deal with this is to remember about God's love. That that's the amazing thing is that God loved me and forgave me of all of my sins. I think we forget that. That's really the impetus for causing us to reach out to anybody, you know, to, you know, the unsaved. And so regardless, it ought to motivate us because I want to see all people. Because God, the Bible says that God desires all men to be saved and come to the saved and knowledge of the truth. So I don't have to ask myself. I don't have to pray about it. I already know that God wants everybody to hear the gospel and to come to save and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I approach my life with the idea that I've got to, God, fill me with your love. And that love is for everybody, uh, both in the house and outside the house, sometimes I say. Uh, and so what it's going to take is for believers like us to have that patience, that perseverance, and that grace. And at grace, all you have to do is go back to Calvary, Hebrews 12, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the chain, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So anytime I might feel weak and like I can't do it or I fall short or yeah, but look at Jesus and look at what he endured. And that gives me that grace and strength. And we've got to, to pour out that grace. And by the way, grace is a gift, right? Congress is a gift. It's unmerited favor, simple definition, something I don't deserve that I get. And all of us have received that, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And so God has grace on me. And we sing the song, Amazing Grace. Right? We get excited about that, and we should. But we also need to extend that grace to others. God had grace on me, I'm going to have grace on others, even if they hurt me. In fact, the Bible tells them to love even my enemies. Standards have been raised. Not just love your neighbor, love your enemies. Wow. Standards have been raised. But God has not called me to do anything that he has not equipped me and empowered me to do through the power of the Spirit of God that dwells in me. And so I would simply say, you know, remember God's grace towards you, and that will help you to have grace towards others. Yeah, that's good. Just want to encourage the parents here. Want to you know, obviously thank God for uh, His amazing sovereignty and, and the things that we're celebrating here. But just want to leave on uh, a, a God glorifying note. Can you close some prayer, Absolutely. please? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful 
that right now in this moment we're talking about this issue. God, I praise you that we're able to talk about the beautiful tapestry that is humanity. That we get to celebrate that. That we don't have to be afraid of those conversations. I praise you that we get to be the church. That we get to lead in this. We don't have to lag behind. Lord, I praise you that we have a gospel message that shows us our own fallenness and the beauty of every single human being created. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in that gospel truth. I pray that we would represent you so well that the rest of humanity would say, how in the world can they love each other the way that they do? And we can say, because of the good news of Jesus, let me tell you about them. Let it be our testimony and our power. Let the church be one so that they can see, God, that you really have sent your son Jesus to save the world. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful we get to serve you as one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. For more information about this topic, visit ERLC.com and join us next week as we learn about the importance of talking to your kids about difficult issues.